Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG, and I'm very pleased to have as our guest today, Douglas Blackwell, who is the CIO of Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Doug has been the Senior Vice President and CIO for Horizon, which is the largest health insurance company in the state of New Jersey. It has $13 billion in revenue and 3.8 million members in New Jersey. He works with the CEO and the senior leadership team, driving company strategy and executing on Horizon's current focus, which is something you'll recognize from what many healthcare companies and insurers are going through today, where they're moving from a traditional fee-for-service model more to one of a fee-for-value. In addition to his leadership role in running IT, Doug is also leading the company's digital strategy. Before he joined Horizon, he held a number of senior IT positions in financial services, insurance, and the software business. So he really understands the intricacies of IT business relationships, and that's something we'll be getting into quite a bit. He has served as a senior VP for a division of the All Scripts Ellipsis Corporation, and also for service operations IT. He led that up for Signacorp. His board experience includes membership on the Board of Advisors of Heritage Healthcare, the Innovation Fund based in Nashville, Tennessee, and he recently joined the Board of Directors of Zipari, a Brooklyn-based software firm which develops consumer solutions for the healthcare market. Welcome to the program, Doug. Thank it's you. It's delightful to have you it's here. Great to be here. All right. Let's dive in and talk first about the size and the scope of Horizon's business and operations. We'll get into more specifics on the IT group itself, mm -hmm. but I always, with the blue, with the blues, with all of the blue cross, blue shields across the country, it's a good idea to put everybody in perspective. So where does Horizon fit in the world of the blues? So in terms of the blues, and I think there's about 36 blues, as mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, yeah. um, we are the fifth largest blue cross, blue shield uh, organization. I think we're somewhere in the top 10 in terms of uh, healthcare insurance companies across the country. Uh, obviously, we're competing with the big guys like a Cigna and Aetna who are larger, but I think we're still mm -hmm. in the top 10 overall. Yes. 3.8 million members, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and about $13 billion in revenue. Uh, we are a not-for-profit blues company. Uh, mm -hmm. All blues kind of have different organization structures depending. Um, but if you put us on the, on the Fortune 500, if we were a public company, we'd be somewhere in the 200 to 240 range somewhere mm -hmm. there. So a fairly sizable organization. Yeah. Sizable indeed. Uh, about 6,000 employees. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about three to 4,000 other resources. Um, we'll talk about IT in a minute. But mm -hmm. for instance, I have about 2,000 resources who support IT. Only 500 are employees. So those other 1,500 right. are partners, outsourced relationships, things like that. Yeah, that's a lot of significant partnerships. It is. Mm -hmm. And our, our product structure, we uh, we have all sorts of healthcare products, uh, commercial insurance products. Mm -hmm. We're also a very large Medicaid player. We have about 900,000 Medicaid members. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the largest uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Medicaid um, businesses across the country. Mm. Uh, we all have specialty areas, dental, vision. Um, we're starting to expand that as a way to increase revenue, increase profitability. Mm -hmm. um, we are not for profit, but we do pay taxes. We pretty much operate like a, any you know for-profit business would. We pay federal taxes. We pay state taxes. Uh, yeah. But we're highly regulated both in the state and the federal area. Mm -hmm. but um, And we've been pretty successful. We're part of the on, uh, on exchange, uh, the Obamacare marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, we started that in 2013. We're one of a 
few blues that actually made money the first couple of years. A lot of uh, companies and even the national guys lost their shirts on on the exchanges, but we're yeah. fairly conservative going in. It worked out for us. Yeah, uh, we have uh, I think two hundred thousand members on the exchange today, something like that. That's excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and you mentioned kind of in passing in IT, you have about five hundred employees, mm-hmm. and let's talk about the IT operation itself. Um, how do you have it structured, and how has it changed in the last year or two? Well, we, we kind of started with, I'll call it a traditional plan. The classic. The classic mm-hmm. plan, build, run kind of a model. Uh, when I first got there back in 2011, kind of reorganized uh, along those lines. Um, and that, that worked out well. And uh, I think going forward, we're going to make some changes. Um, the entire organization is going to change a little bit. We have mm-hmm. a new CEO, Kevin Conlon, who took over as of the first of this year. And he really wants to f- focus on a couple of things. One is um, what he calls uh, transform and then perform. Yeah. So transforming really, you know, where are we taking the business? Where are we looking at uh, going in the future? And then performing, making sure that what we're doing today, we're doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other part of it is the orientation towards really true uh, profit loss, P&L uh, responsibilities and accountabilities on the part of the different business mm-hmm. areas. So those are going to drive changes in IT ultimately. Yeah. Well, that must be kind of an interesting concept to end up talking to IT. IT people about because mm-hmm. as you said that traditional plan and build and run all of those functions are still pretty key right sure. to getting sure. things done so when you think about actually changing the structure I always ask does that mean more agile operations mm-hmm. uh, more into DevOps is there there doesn't seem to be any point when you can just say well let's not plan anymore let's not build anything let's yeah. not run anything so how yeah. do you do that how do you approach it I mean agility mm-hmm. flexibility is certainly a key piece of this um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, we are looking at moving more towards an Agile-type development methodology. Um, okay. And we've actually done that in a couple of cases so far. We want to make that uh, more sustainable, more standard, uh, you know, develop a framework that we can uh, kind of use to determine whether or not a project or an application is right for Agile development. Mm-hmm. Not every project is. We'll still continue to do no. you know, traditional yeah. waterfall for some time to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where it does make sense, we'll absolutely move that way. And I think yeah. the business overall will also look at uh, a more kind of Agile process orientation as we kind of develop and and change the culture a little bit going Mm -hmm. forward. Well, that always strikes me as the way to tell whether Agile is really making a difference when Mm -hmm. the methodologies start spilling outside of IT. Mm -hmm. Because when you run it inside IT, it has to involve colleagues from the business. Yeah, absolutely. There has to be product managers. Are you doing, for instance, special training within IT to get people uh, into that idea of being product managers instead of project managers. Yeah, we're actually working on that right now, developing okay. that training program and process, developing that framework that I mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, and I think the, the point about the business uh, kind of uh, kind of ownership component of this yeah. is not to be taken lightly. Um, yeah. You know, business guys a lot of times will love to give you a napkin from the cafeteria and say, here's the three things yeah. I need on my application, go do it. Here's my requirements, good luck. <laughs> I'll see you in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, Agile being a very iterative process, having business yeah. sitting at the table with you, being very close to, to what's going on, it's, it's a commitment on the part yeah. of, of those guys, and they, we all need to kind of work together on it. Yeah, you have to sit up and get their attention and say, not so fast. Yeah, you know, exactly. We're going to need you in these meetings, yep. and they'd be like, every one of them? Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. probably. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking about the big shifts that are underway, I, we can't resist talking about it with healthcare organizations, because the consumer focus, even though healthcare has always been focused on patients, mm-hmm. on helping people get better. Now it's almost helping them more to stay well rather than just get better. And one of the things you said about when we talked earlier, you said we're trying to give consumers more information on where they want to 
even get their services. Uh, tell me how that is rolling out for you. So, so we're doing a lot of that through our new kind of digital platform, mm-hmm. um, giving them better um, better information on what the options are for them. Yeah. Um, so obviously from a, from a health insurance company, we want to make sure that you know, they're getting the best care possible, but we're mm-hmm. also trying to make sure it's the most cost-effective care that they have. Right. Um, so going to an urgent care center, for instance, is mm-hmm. a lot more cost-effective than going to the emergency room. Yes. Um, and the emergency room, emergency room tends to be the most expensive uh, you know, site of care across the board. Right. Um, so trying to get them kind of oriented differently. Um, mm-hmm. you, you'd be amazed at how many members have benefits that they don't take advantage of. Primary care physicians, just things that are actually they paid don't for. Know. They They right. don't. As yeah. much education as you can try to do, sometimes it, it just doesn't uh, doesn't happen. Yeah. So through digital technology, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to provide that information in a much kind of easier to understand, uh, more effective way that they can take advantage of is what we're trying to get to, mm-hmm. get to with the digital platform. Right. What is the what is the primary mobile app that is serving your members right now, and where is that in terms of you know the next upgrade or the capabilities you'd mm-hmm. like to see it have? Sure. So uh, you mentioned that I'm on the bar, board of Zapari. Yeah. And Zapari is a is a smaller company based out of Brooklyn. Uh, they're health only. They're health insurance focused only, mm-hmm. or, or health care providers, or health care and. Uh, industry only. Yeah. Uh, they came from the healthcare industry, um, and it's all about the digital platform. Uh, and they have, you know, kind of basic portal and app app type services. Mm-hmm. It sits on top of something they call a customer experience engine, which is all oh. artificial intelligence based. Mm-hmm. So think about some of the kind of the basic information you might want to get off a. a you know, portal from a health insurance provider, yeah. your benefit information, your claims information, where can I find a doctor or a hospital to go to? Where can I find a specialist? Right. So they do all that, mm-hmm. but they also provide things like next best action. So if I'm looking at a benefit, oh. what would be the next thing I'd want to do after that? Well, maybe it's check that uh, specialist, check your costs, see what it's yeah. going to be, your out-of-pocket expense is going to be, see your, what your deductible is, other things like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll offer that up kind of as a push to you as a consumer That's as opposed smart. to having to pull that from, from well, us. Because it's getting increasingly tricky to figure out if you're – whoever you're calling and going to see whether they're in network or out of network. And Mm -hmm. that's when you mentioned the cost. Uh, You gave me an example when we talked earlier about MRIs. Yes. And how those can differ. How much are we talking in terms of differences? Thousands. Thousands You can get an MRI for 1,000. You can get it for 5,000, depending, again, on the site of service or the location. Yeah. So, again, trying to make sure that people are aware of that. And as as plans become more and more, um, more of the burden of the cost is put on the consumer, Mm -hmm. we want to make sure they're educated in their choices because a lot of that, they'll end up bearing the cost. We'll bear some of it, but they'll bear a lot of it as well. Well, and it's one thing to talk about a mobile app and anyone who's probably Gen X or Mm -hmm. millennials are very comfortable in the mobile app, but that doesn't mean you can get a get rid of anything else, does it? Because no. you've got a lot of older consumers who right. might still not have iPhones, yes, for yeah. instance. Like, like my mother, for instance. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll mention her. She refuses to use an iPhone or a computer. She so can just call you. She can call yeah. me and yeah. I'll take care mm-hmm. of her. But yeah, ab- absolutely. So it's really an omni-channel approach. Um, okay. And one of the things we're trying to do, um, and we'll talk probably in a minute about our kind of API technology that, that we've implemented, mm-hmm. providing the same data to whatever the consumer of that data is. So the source of the data is, is the same, but ah. our call centers consume that data through our CRM 
application. Mm-hmm. Our members consume the data through our apps. Uh, our physicians and provider groups uh, consume it through a different type of app and, mm-hmm. and uh, interface. So trying to get the same source is the key. Well, and I, I can remember that being a discussion point. I've been around in the industry since the 90s, mm-hmm. let's just say. <laughs> and I can remember us talking years ago about uh, getting to the one source of the truth. So that has been a very long road for a lot of IT organizations. Um, how close are you at this point? Or is it is it within reach because of the technologies available to us and things like AI and machine learning? Mm-hmm. Talk I, I, a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd say it's mm-hmm. within reach, but it's certainly mm-hmm. not done. As you say, it's a journey. Nobody's um, putting <laughs> a stake in the ground and saying, we're there. No, it, yeah. that, won't be, that won't happen for years probably. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but I think kind of the openness of uh, you know, software today allows mm-hmm. that, uh, more so than it did you know, 20 years ago when things were much more closed. Yeah. Everybody had their own proprietary uh, you know, systems, whether it's mm-hmm. IBM or Informatica or whoever it is for exchanging data. Mm-hmm. Today, it's much more open using open source and, and different ways to get there. Yeah. And the use of API technology, again, is, is something we think is important to, to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, master data management, years ago when they started talking about single sources of truth, that was kind of the, the genesis of all that. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to do. Uh, we, we've done it to a degree with certain components of data, yeah. but to do it you know, across the board is, is both expensive and a, a difficult proposition. Well, tell me a little bit about the size and structure of your current network. Mm-hmm. How many machines, how many networks? I mean, how, it's probably pretty massive. So how, yeah. do you, how can you describe it? Yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's big. It's not enormous mm-hmm. compared to some of the, the giants out there. But yeah. um, I think it's not have, the Department of Defense. Right, but, it's not the know, DOD. Yeah. But right. uh, something like 12,000 end-user devices, uh, somewhere in the 3,000 to 5,000 server range, mm-hmm. a couple of data centers, actually two main data centers and the third aux center. We do an awful lot of partnering software as a service and outsourcing. Yes, you so, mentioned. So, for mm-hmm. instance, you, you mentioned uh, on the board of Zapari. I'm also on the board of a company called NASCO. Na- mm-hmm. NASCO is a blues own entity. They wow. do a claims membership, uh, a lot of ancillary uh, services for us. It's yeah. software as a service. We pay them for transactions. Okay. So they take care of all that infrastructure for us. So there's a lot outside of what we control that our partners actually control directly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, because you'd have to have an operation five or six times bigger oh, yeah, easily. than what you have. Easily. Yeah. And the interesting thing, when I first got to, uh, to Horizon, one of the first things I was looking at, we needed to expand the data center. And we're running out of floor space, running out of power. Yeah. And we kind of stalled a little bit, and was, we were analyzing it. And with machines getting smaller and smaller, and with us pushing more and more to partners, we ended mm-hmm. up not having to do that. We've actually shrunk wow. the size of the data center instead of uh, grown it. Yes. That's great. Yeah, it That's really great. it was a good surprise. One of the, you know, rather than plunking down another twenty million dollars for a new data center, it was certainly a good thing. There's so many better ways to spend that extra twenty million, <laughs> That's right? right? Like on digital technology. Yes, yes. And yeah. I'm sure the CEO just said to you, "Well, you know, you saved us all that money, Doug. Here you go." <laughs> <laughs> a little more of a fight than that, but yeah. I know. Well, um, you mentioned that it's a new CEO, but he's actually not new to you. He's no. been the chief operating officer, and so you've worked with him before. Yes. Because that relationship between the CIO and the CEO is pretty pivotal. Mm-hmm. And um, have you? Have you always reported to CEOs, or is he your first CEO experience? So when I first came to the company, I reported to the previous CEO, yes. um, Bob Marino. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob retired last year, at the end of last year. Um, so for the first four or five years I was there, I reported to Bob. Okay. Uh, Kevin had come in to run our healthcare management area, which mm-hmm. is all the networks negotiating with hospitals, things like that, ah. our nurses. Um, 
And when he na- was named COO, we did a little reorganization, and mm-hmm. several of us ended up reporting to Kevin. Okay. So, but he and I worked very closely prior to that with uh, some major yep. projects that we had. A new pharmacy benefit manager. We put in a new medical management platform. Mm-hmm. So I worked very close with him prior, and then worked for him as a COO. So when he took over as CEO, it was very natural transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, continue to report to him now as the CEO. Yeah, well, and I uh, I don't usually run into CIOs who would who want to go back to say reporting mm-hmm. to the chief financial officer. You know, not not to say anything against CFOs, no, they no. do good work. They do, but it's a it's a whole different mindset, isn't it? it when is. you talk with the conversations with CEOs. <laughs> I've been been fortunate not to have ever worked for a CFO. <laughs> I don't want to say that my my good friend Dave Huber is our CEO. CFO, yeah. nothing against Dave's a great yep. guy, mm-hmm. but they do have a different orientation. And yeah. you know, reporting to the CEO and sitting at the table with uh, your peers mm-hmm. uh, to me was is incredibly invaluable. You, you just can't you, you don't get the same level of understanding of the business if you don't. Right. Um, so I think it's it's key if, you know, for the CIO to report directly to the CEO. Well, and it changes the level of your contribution if you're there bringing the ideas to them, the things that they never thought they always wanted. Right. So, and I, I I tend to think that that is one of the most valuable things CIOs can bring to the table that depth of technology knowledge and understanding that you know in a very uh, non threatening environment and way they can point out you know there may be something we can do with I don't know some AI tools or something things that you wouldn't expect your chief operating officer to be all up to date right. on that kind of thing. Yep. Um, I'm just actually reminding myself that one of the things I forgot to tell our audience is that. We are all on Twitter and doing this live. So if you have any questions for Doug, I have, of course, a list of questions, but yours might be even better. So please feel free to tweet in. We are at CIO Online. And if you are following us there, you can just tweet in a question and that information will get to me and we'll put Doug right on the spot for you. Okay. Looking forward to that. Yes. All right. So next, well, speaking of putting you on the spot, um, tell me what digital transformation, that's like our favorite buzzword words these days mm. in the industry. And I always like to ask CIOs, what does that actually mean in your industry as a whole? Like for healthcare, is it just all about the mobility and the information on your on your handy iPhone or your Android? Or is it more about telemedicine? And so when you think about digital transformation in the healthcare industry, what what is the kind of the big picture there? I, I think it's a lot of that that you mm-hmm. just mentioned. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, making use of people's smartphones. Everybody has one, um, and yep. trying to engage our members, uh, you know, more actively in their healthcare management, their personal mm-hmm. management of their healthcare, um, which is is interesting when you you look at, you know, what's going on in the retail kind of the whole consumer world with a Amazon or an Uber. Um, and, and people's just kind of natural orientation to using that kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Healthcare has always been kind of a laggard um, in terms mm-hmm. of, of technology in general, um, but now it's so pervasive. Um, we, we have to be more out front or more upfront than we have been historically. Um, so trying to use those tools to, again, engage people. Um, and, and again, healthcare is not the kind of thing you're necessarily going to use every day. Uh, hopefully not. Yeah, I know. Um, and certainly there's some <laughs> chronic conditions where we're using digital technology um, to really help improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge you know, benefit uh, overall uh, to doing that. But then more the r- routine stuff. Um, again, just picking a doctor, finding a specialist. Uh, maybe arranging transportation to, mm-hmm. to get to the doctor's office, things like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things we're also doing is 
uh, trying to integrate more with our provider partners and getting clinical information uh, to our uh-huh. members. Um, mm-hmm. We can do that through the digital technology, allow mm-hmm. them to access their, their health care records directly. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the goals as well. Um, so it's it's all about, you know, different t- different types of um, health care requirements that people have. Is again, as simple as finding mm-hmm. a doctor to a much more complex management of, of somebody who has a, a diabetes, for mm-hmm. instance. Well, and that's on the kind of the patient-consumer end of things. Mm-hmm. How about in the that area of the industry where you're working with and managing hospitals, kind of the hospitals and doctors' practices, mm-hmm. the B2B aspect? Is it the same sorts of technologies that are as important for digital transformation there, or is it more about who is able to integrate well with your systems? Probably a combination of both. Um, So one of the things we've done is uh, we've implemented uh, a private health information exchange. Mm -hmm. We call it HealthSphere. We've actually kind of named it. Okay. Um, And what it is is kind of a repository of both claims information, so retrospective information on people's health, uh, as well as clinical information. Mm -hmm. And it also integrates real-time information from electronic medical record systems at our provider partners. Mm -hmm. So we integrate directly with um, the large EMR vendors like a Cerner and Epic uh, all scripts okay. you mentioned the companies mm-hmm. to work for. Um, well, we're actually extracting clinical inf- information directly from their electronic medical record systems. Oh, um, we're also getting some of the real-time information, something called an ADT, which is admission, discharge, and transfer. Mm-hmm. So kind of picture a primary care physician, uh, you know, your doctor, and all of a sudden you got admitted to the ER. Mm-hmm. We'll know immediately through these ADTs that you were admitted to the ER. We'll able, we're able to pass that information directly to your primary care physician who may not mm-hmm. have otherwise known that you got uh, were admitted to the ER, um, and they might want to intervene. They may know that you have a history of some condition that they would want the ER to know before they start treating so you. So it pulls them into the loop. It pulls them into the loop. Much it's all quicker. Much more quick. Because ah. mm-hmm. t- typically today, they communicate using faxes <laughs> or phone calls. Or phones or, or yeah, right. three layers of people right. on Trying the phone to get the right before you get to before them. You get, yeah. Exactly. And this goes directly to the clinician to clinician kind of thing. Yeah. How are doctors adapting to that? Because as you, they're not the most eager people to. I know every time I go to see my doctor and they're doing the, there's the um, the nurse you meet ahead of time and they sit there and they're putting information in on a, and they're complaining the whole time about how lousy the system is, how it doesn't work, and all this other and all this other stuff. And then the doctor comes in and they complain about the technology. Yep, yep. And this is just my, you know, my my world of one here where I've noticed that everybody seems to gripe about it, and it could be there. On an older version of an electronic health record, but the, because those never really caught on, right, right. But how is that transition going? That that mental cultural shift with doctors. Well, it's, it's still a struggle. <laughs> okay, um, you know, you do- doctors want to treat patients. That's what they went yeah. to med school for, and it's right. very natural. Um, and and they spend a lot of time documenting. Unfortunately, um, yeah. these EMRs require time. Um, there's, there's several startup companies that try to address this, uh, the use of scribes. So if somebody's mm-hmm. actually sitting side by side with a doctor, basically taking notes yeah, so the doctor yeah. doesn't have to. Um, one of our board members is a physician, and, and she mentioned that she's up to 10 o'clock every night just documenting. Yeah. After she sees patients all day long, she goes back home mm-hmm. and just sits at her computer and, and documents document. records all night long. It's, 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 it's a struggle. Yeah. Um, so we've got to find a better way of doing that. Yeah. And you know, think you think about some of the new technologies, voice-enabled technologies. I'm thinking about voice recognition Absolutely. in this. If they could just 
think out loud yep. and something was capturing all that information, that feels like something that's uh, available today. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and people are working on that. And yeah. We've been working on a little bit in terms of the, the insurance side of it, mm-hmm. uh, just basic stuff on you know FAQs and things like that using Alexa or Siri to, yes. to, to talk to. Mm-hmm. But you know, voice enablement is just growing like crazy. And, you know, they say in you know, 10 years, you look at the Gartner reports, um, voice apps have just like skyrocketed in the last couple of years. Ah, it's amazing. Yes. And so probably mm-hmm. another 10 years, you know, keyboards will go mm-hmm. away. And then our primary means of talking to computers or iPads or your phone are going to be your voice. And so. all those years I've put in being coming a lightning fast typist <laughs> truly won't matter. Well, I, well, I got a C in typing in high school, but I've gotten better <laughs> since. <laughs> um Let's talk a little bit about the major initiatives you have underway. We already mentioned one of them, yeah. HealthSphere. HealthSphere, yes. Um, and that is not fully rolled out, but no. but it is partly rolled out. Mm-hmm. So talk about where you are in that. And I, see, I always love to talk about how it's a journey, not a destination. <laughs> right. And I, I get impatient with that just on a personal level. I'm like, but I want to know the destination. I feel like that passenger in the car, when are we going to get there? Yep. Uh, so tell me about HealthSphere and when are we going to get there? So we're in our second year of HealthSphere. We have mm-hmm. one partner completely integrated, uh, another one just about to, to go. Uh, we have seven key partners that we're integrating directly to their EMRs, wow. um, and the, we call them our Omni Alliance partners. And okay. you mentioned earlier kind of the, the change from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. Yes. They're all value-based uh, kind of arrangements with these organizations. HealthSphere supports that, mm-hmm. again, because of the information that's resident there. Um, but like anything else, you're competing with priorities. We're dealing with you know my counterparts, CIOs at these large hospital systems. Mm-hmm. They've got EMR upgrades. They've got you know a million other things, financial ERP yeah. systems they have to worry about. Um, so it's kind of getting in queue and working with them to make sure that it's a priority for them as well. Mm-hmm. Our hope is those seven partners will be completed by probably Q1, Q2 of next year, all mm-hmm. fully integrated. Um, we also have about 50 to 100, we call them non-integrated partners, access to the same information, mm-hmm. but um, not through direct integration with their EMRs. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll, we'll access, we'll, we'll kind of skin the cat a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's one of them. Um, we have a, a, a provider portal partner called Navinet, and they can access it through that provider portal that mm-hmm. uh, gives them other information as mm-hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I mentioned, I should mention is that what this creates, when you get the clinical information, the claims information, we create something called a longitudinal patient record. Yes, I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned it when I talked to you earlier, and I, when I thought about it, I didn't really understand what it was. It, it's basically your entire hi- medical history. And it's effect. the real deal. It's the yeah. real deal. For, oh, for okay. what, as much uh, information as we, in fact, have. Because it's multiple sources. It's your doctor. It's your right. health insurer. Right. It's your CVS Minute Clinic. It could be it uh, all could be the anything. prescription information, yep. uh, lab results, mm-hmm. Integrate with lab partners. Um, wow! Just about anything that that you have, and yeah. we create that one record that is kind of again back to the kind of single source of truth mm-hmm. for you as an individual. Yeah, and that's accessible from all these different ways. Your life provider, in medicine. Your, yeah. your life in, in history. Yeah, and, and you know maybe EHR will will you know electronic health records, and personal health records will catch on at some point again. Um, you know they tried it. We tried I'm it. Dubious, it just, isn't it? There's something like a four or five percent penetration throughout the entire. The, the uh, adoption rate is very low. Yeah. And when things have gone on for 10, 20 years yeah. and they just that but, it that feels to me like those endless IT projects <laughs> that everybody comes to hate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so and now that we're in an agile world where we want to turn things around quickly and show yeah. real results for the consumers but and the patients. It, you would think though, the example mm-hmm. I always use is like immunization for kids, you know. So you think ah. a parent 
Yeah. You're not going to remember when you had the last shots for, for whatever. And if you had mm-hmm. if you had that available on your app, wouldn't that be convenient and oh, easy? Fabulous. Rather yeah. than trying to call your doctor's office and find out when was the last. I, I can remember having it on a little fold-out card yeah, that I kept yeah. in my yes, wallet. Yes, my mother had those. Yeah, for the yeah, first yeah. five years of my children's yeah, lives, yeah. I knew exactly. Oh, I could look it up. Yeah. But it got, if I lost the wallet, <laughs> I'd, be in a, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble exactly. around that. Yeah. Now, one of the things you mentioned, oh, and so when we're talking about HealthSphere, mm-hmm. this is a cloud-based platform, and you mentioned Orion Health. Is that the provider of the platform? Yes. Oh, yes. So, right. so it runs on mm-hmm. Amazon Web, AWS. Okay. Um, Orion Health is a company based out of New Zealand. And they provide health wow. information exchanges globally uh, for see. multiple countries. And as you know, outside of the U.S., there's a lot mm-hmm. of national health care. So um, they're the plat- go-to platform for a lot of countries out there for that. Right. Okay. Well, one of the things I wanted to uh, delve into a little bit more is uh, the business background that you have. Mm-hmm. Because when we talked about how much are you business versus tech, you said about 70-30. Yeah. And your background and your own training, you came in essentially through business pathways rather than a computer science degree or an engineering. Um, talk about from the business side of things, how does that how does that enable you to do a good job as a CIO? It's, um, I think it gives a little different perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I, I joke with my sales guy and tell him that, you know, I'm, I'm not really a technical guy. My, my kind of dirty little secret is I really am a business guy. Yeah. He says, I know that. That's why I like you. And again, that was a sales guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a sales guy. Exactly. So take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, but no, I mm-hmm. went to school and, and for a business degree and also human development. Right. Um, interestingly right. enough, I, I thought about going into nonprofit management back then, um, ah. and now I'm working for a not-for-profit company towards the end of my career. So it's kind of interesting you, turn of events. You had a, a bent toward mission-based. I, I guess. You like I, having a mission. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so so in, in back then it was before uh, before the Mac was invented, before mm-hmm. you know, Apple was a company, before MS DOS was written by Bill Gates. Wow. You know, we right. didn't have the computer science degrees didn't exist back then. We yeah. certainly had you know IS classes. Yeah, there was Radio Shack and people there playing were, on the weekends. That's, right. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know? that's about it. Um, but I think because of that, um, it gives me a little different perspective mm-hmm. on IT uh, coming more from a business side as opposed to a technology side. Yeah. And you know, having worked for several startup companies, uh, kind of on senior leadership team there. One company we took public in '96 mm-hmm. here in Boston. Um, the uh, you know that gave me a continued sense of the business side of things. And, and at Allscripts, for instance, I ran a hosting business. It was technology, but it was running the business. Right. I had a P and L right. responsibility. So mm-hmm. again, it gives me, I think, a different look at you know the business overall and what it means and how technology fits into that business yeah. picture. Yeah. Well, technology organizations often get sidelined by their uh, by the the enterprise itself as a cost center. Yes. And being a cost center is like the worst thing you can be in the world and I can understand this because in the publishing business the editorial operation <laughs> is a cost center. Yep. You know, cuz we're not gener- we're generating the material that is used to drive the advertising, sure. Mm-hmm. But still, you feel like a vital function that is being sort of sidelined and overlooked. Do you see that changing eventually. I mean, IT is never going to be a big profit generator. There's always, there's going to be great stuff that comes out of IT that goes on to make the company loads of money. Mm-hmm. But it's it's all that, that how valued it is or not. And I I seem to, I feel like that's changing in healthcare. I, I think so. I mean, again, we you know, talked about kind of the digital platform and where things are going. 
as things evolve, this whole fee-for-service to fee-for-value things evolve, um, the risk that we manage today is going to be pushed out to these provider partners. So hospital systems are going to start assuming risk themselves. Okay. So we have to think about, you know, what is our value in this whole kind of healthcare ecosystem Mm -hmm. if they're assuming the risk? Um, and what can we provide? And it's through things like technology. It's through the yeah. kind of the integration that I was talking about with HealthSphere. It's through providing digital tools and capabilities. It's through analytics. That's a big piece of it, data okay. and analytics, that we can provide insights uh, mm-hmm. for our hospital partners to you know, operate more effectively. That's where we see the value ultimately uh, yeah. being. Well, and that's way beyond being a cost center. That's mm. being a provider. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah of, of data and information and services. Exactly. Yeah. What is your setup? for data analytics, big data, and data governance and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I understand that analytics is not a function that is specifically part of your IT organization. How does it work at uh, Horizon? We we have a lot of kind of virtual uh, organizations, um, one being analytics. Mm -hmm. So we're very closely with that team. Um, mostly healthcare economists. So it kind of makes sense that they sit in our healthcare management area uh, where they're very close to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're providing in IT is providing the data governance function. So making sure that uh, you know data is handled appropriately, that it's being managed correctly. We have a virtual team that's managed uh, by uh, one of the folks who reports to our CTO. Yeah. Um, and she takes really kind of the, the responsibility for the company for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, today we have our own kind of analytics platform. Um, we called it our analytics transformation several years ago. Mm-hmm. Got us, I'll call it stage one of our transformation. Okay. Uh, stage two, we're working with an, another external company mm-hmm. called Abacus Insights. And Abacus is developing a data management platform, and they'll be the base for our analytics platform going forward, assuming oh, things excellent. go the way that we, we hope they yep. will. Mm-hmm. And the... Do you see that function eventually becoming part of the IT organization, or does that not matter? I, I don't think it really matters. Uh, okay. To me, it's more about the relationships you have with people. Yeah. Um, where it doesn't work is when the relationship doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just hired a new chief uh, analytics officer. He hopefully starts in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations. They're not I, easy to find. They're not easy to find at uh-huh. all. Um, and, you know, I think we'll work very well together. Um, similarly, on the security side, uh, you know, I don't have the CISO reporting to me. It reports mm-hmm. to our chief security officer. Okay. Uh, but, again, we work very closely together, and yes. there's a good relationship that we have, and that's what makes it work. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I think CIOs do have to become – uh, what do the Brits call it? A minister without portfolio. <laughs> you know, the fact yes, that yeah. you're you're acting more as an influencer and a, a Sherpa, a guide mm-hmm. uh, to all of these marvelous ways the enterprise can improve. Um, the uh, Well, and, and thinking about that on the changing role of the CIO, one of the things you mentioned was when the Affordable Care Act was first enacted, that really changed very dramatically where IT was positioned mm-hmm. in kind of the firmament of healthcare. How did that how did that change things? You've been seven years now with Horizon. So what is the before and after picture in terms of um, the this, this new approach that healthcare organizations are taking with consumers and what it meant for IT's relative standing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, IT historically probably was more relegated to kind of the back office operations and health yeah. insurance, so yeah. processing claims, managing enrollment, pain bills. We still have to do all that. that that's still critical. We can't mm. not do that. If we don't, then we table can't. Table stakes. It's table stakes. Mm-hmm. 
um, in order for us to do the stuff we need to do to be competitive, like the whole digital uh, world, um, that stuff has to continue to be done well. And that's why we yeah. work you know, with partners, like I mentioned, NASCO, who do a lot of that for us. They do a great job at it. I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the claim system going down overnight. It never does because those guys are great at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed me to focus on the things that the ACA required. Um, it also included a lot more investment. So the, other, the good part of it, or the good mm-hmm. news was I got more money. All so, right. So that helped. Um, yeah. Nobody wants to kick that uh, off the Nobody table. kicks that yeah. off. Uh-huh. And the company had way under-invested in technology for some time. Ah. Um, the yep. company was posed to go public at one point, um, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen. So they were kind of uh, not spending a whole lot of capital at the time. So yeah. we had some technical debt. had to clean that up. took mm-hmm. a couple of years to get that cleaned up. Uh, reorganized, as I mentioned, um, and then refocused. And, and the ACA mm-hmm. helped refocus because we had no choice. So it was a company priority. It was a, it was a mandate, a regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to participate. So we had to do things in a certain way, and that helped propel us in the right direction. Well, it was a bit of a perfect storm that you had an entire mm-hmm. social and legal climate that was changing dramatically. Yep. You had a couple of years to get ready, but that went by fast. Sure did. And then also technology itself was changing while we're all ended up walking around these supercomputers in our hands. <laughs> yep. So, you know, that was the, that perfect storm. I really think it's had an impact on every single industry, but it, it's hard to think of any industry that gets closer to our well-being mm-hmm. uh, than healthcare. Yep, so absolutely. the differences in it and the expectations. Well, you also gave me an example from, you said, a recent board meeting. Mm-hmm. The technology discussion was the third item on the list. And that that didn't used to happen on a regular basis. No, it's yeah. uh, it was one of our kind of primary disruptors as, as to what is happening. Certainly, healthcare value that pay for value is one of them. Yes, um, kind of the whole member centric thing, the digital platform we talked about, and the third was just technology overall, just innovation and, and where technology is going. Mm-hmm. It changes so fast. N- another good reason we feel to deal with partners rather than doing a lot of it ourselves is the burdens on them to make sure they're keeping up with technology changes. Yes. Well, and you mentioned too that the the API technology, the mm-hmm. the fact. That that is cloud-based, moving away from false to this real-time API database integration. Is that what makes working with the partners such a different setup than it would have been a few years ago? Uh, talk a little bit more about that, about the uh, the API technologies that are making such a difference. Sure. Hopefully I won't. You know, my, my CTO may correct me on a couple of these things afterwards. But, again, <laughs> well, I'm 70% business, 30% to, business. We're waiting. We're waiting <laughs> for, for, for tweets from our audience. We'll, we'll see yeah. what he says if he's mm-hmm. listening. Um, but it, it allows, number one, kind of the real-time integration and also yeah. standards-based integration. Um, yes. And that helps quite a bit uh, as opposed to you know, file transfers and you know, kind of more historical way of getting information back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, being cloud-based, uh, provisioning in that world is very quick. If we mm-hmm. need more capacity, we can do it kind of on the fly in, in a very short time frame, you know, minutes compared with days or weeks previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the entire thing provides a much, you know, better structure. And it's kind of the, I call it the glue that holds everything together. Um, We've invested a lot in that API technology, um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the partners, some of the kind of the legacy partners we have aren't there yet. So, you know, it'll be, again, a journey of several Mm -hmm. years before people will kind of get there. But once they do, um, it'll be much easier to kind of make changes moving forward because, again, it'll be all standard-based using the same type of uh, interface. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and I was thinking back to your IT organization and the way you've reskilled and have done mm-hmm. a certain amount of restructuring. Are there entire departments or positions, senior level, senior leadership type positions that you've created in the last few years? Uh, things that are the 
kind of the high watermarks of mm. like, here's how you can tell that the IT organization is different because now we have this function or we have that as a more important element. Well, well certainly mm. data governance was one of those we, oh. we talked about earlier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had you know, done some of that, but creating a, you know, a group specifically focused on that I think was, was important. Um, the whole kind of technology organization has started to kind of restructure itself into different areas, like the API piece was, is a big mm-hmm. part of that now. And it starts with the architecture group, but then the <clears throat> actual delivery groups, they have to structure as well, mm-hmm. organize similarly so they can support that new technology, and, and they've done that in different all different areas. Yeah. Well, another one of the interesting points you made about working with the board that he said well, when we talk to the board about what members are expecting mm-hmm. from us you're not comparing yourselves to Aetna or Cigna or any mm-hmm. of the other big healthcare providers but with Google and Apple and other, how does how does that go <laughs> are the board members nodding their heads and saying oh yeah that makes sense or are they a little bit shocked that you're thinking about what no. what Google is doing <laughs> I, I, no i think i think they're they're appropriately pleased um mm-hmm. They, they, you know, we're looking out there at, you know, who are the leaders in innovation and technology. Right. And again, you know, healthcare will never be a Google or a or a Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. But to take some of what they're doing and apply it to healthcare is a way for us to you know, kind of leverage that. And again, wow. the, the pervasiveness of, of smartphones and how people shop and buy today. Mm-hmm. Try to apply that to what we do in healthcare okay. and do it in a different way. Um, and because that's the expectation, Pe- people, mm-hmm. you know, their expectations. I'll pull up my app, and I'll get an Uber, and I'll be here in a couple of minutes, and I'm on my way to the airport. Well, I know? was thinking the way the mortgage business has oh, changed. Yeah. I mean, millennials expect to be able to finance their car on the app, kind of from start to finish, and sure. that has changed mm-hmm. a lot of what the mortgage industry does. Um, and the expectations for healthcare are not far behind that, are no, they? No, no. Real- yeah. Realty, the same thing. Selling houses, buying yep. selling houses, and <clears throat> things like blockchain certainly are going to, um, you know, some point, you know, enter in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're putting, you know, kind of this distributed world out there, distributed ledger world like like Bitcoin. But think of a real estate transaction where you don't necessarily need that kind of middle person that's managing that all right. for you. You're going directly right. to your lawyer or to the bank or whoever it is mm-hmm. to complete that transaction. Yeah. Well, um, how do you personally stay kind of updated and how do you explore the bleeding edge of technology <laughs> which you know you may be more of a fast follower in terms of bringing it into horizon but it's definitely uh, something that you have to have a flag in the ground somewhere yep. on as a CIO so how do you go about that well mm-hmm. try to keep current and you know certainly mm-hmm. read stuff and, and go to conferences as much as I can to get the latest and greatest mm-hmm. I, I will tell you I rely a lot on our chief technology officer okay. he, he's yeah. great and uh, he really mm-hmm. had he and his team our team of architects are out there looking at, you know, what makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as we look at our kind of overall architecture, I, I call it the logo slide. He's, he's got this big slide of how all this stuff comes together. There's about a million mm-hmm. logos on there of different yeah. technologies we're employing. Yeah. Um, so it, and then it, they all come down in a funnel. <laughs> they do all come down to a funnel. Yeah. And uh, hopefully all work and integrate well together. So. Well, and, and we've, t- we've mentioned a lot about, you know, the partnerships and how critical they are. Um, with all the partnerships that you've done over your career, what to you makes a true partner versus a supplier or a vendor? I mean, what sort of uh, what sort of requirements do you have for them if they're going to really if they're going to get to your inner circle? It's it's, it's interesting because I you know, obviously get inundated with people asking to listen to their pitch about this, that, and the other sure. thing, and uh, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes. 
Um, <clears throat> but there, there may be thousands of them watching they, right now. They probably are, and they're probably <laughs> writing things down. Yeah, um, good. I'll, I'll just tell you a little side. I, I had yeah. to change my phone number three times. Um, because your cell phone I, number? No, my, my office oh, phone number. Your office phone number. I, I was getting so many calls, like, all day long. Um, and uh, ended up changing. Of course, that annoys everybody in the company who no longer has my That's phone right. number. <laughs> but um, it, it was like night and day, the, the, mm-hmm. I think the third time I changed it, and virtually don't get any calls anymore. Oh. But everybody wants to be a partner. Every has, everybody, everybody has the greatest idea. And, sure. and healthcare right now, $3 trillion industry, everybody wants a piece of it. Oh, yeah. Um, healthcare and, and is so hot, and it, it wasn't five, ten years ago. No, not at no. all. Not at yeah. all. It's all changed. It was very backwater. Um, yeah. Very much so. And so when we look at partners, um, mm. it's really people who, who want kind of skin in the game on both sides. Yeah. Uh, so Zapari, for instance, we're an investor in Zapari. So, ah. And that's kind of how we do things. We'll, we'll look mm-hmm. at investing in companies either directly or through some kind of warrant structure based on the agreements that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, similarly with NASCO, uh, we're an owner company of NASCO. Um, Pager is a company that, that provides kind of more of the clinical side of things, mm-hmm. think telemedicine, um, nurse chat, online nurse chat. We're an investor in that company as well. Yeah. Um, so that gives us some visibility into the company. And if they really want to do business with us, then we'll give them a little bit of money and we'll get a board mm-hmm. seat and we'll be part of the equation. Ah. Uh, so it's kind of a two-way street to make it really work for us. And you're essentially, you're running point on that for the CEO. Yes. You're involved, you're on the board, Zapari and Pager and uh, NASCO and NASCO but actually okay. I'm not on the board of Pager we have another individual on the board of Pager okay. but uh, we, you know again we work closely and there's a couple other examples I didn't mention the company called Coda mm-hmm. one of my peers Alan Carp, is on the board of Coda again another company that we invested in so mm-hmm. that's been our pattern um, yeah we also we, we also invest in uh, private equity funds, and that helps as well. We don't tend to think of our healthcare <clears throat> insurance companies as investors. No, out on the leading edge of technology with these companies, yeah. you'd be surprised. That, particularly yeah. in the blues, there's a lot of blues that do invest in smaller companies. I was just going to ask yeah. that whether you were all alone doing this, or whether yeah. a lot of the big ones do it. Well, one of the funds we're part <clears throat> of is actually something called the Blue Venture Fund. And okay. the Blue Venture Fund will invest directly, and we're part of you know we've mm-hmm. helped fund that along with our other blues. Yeah. Um, but they'll they'll go through you know every year five hundred to a thousand companies. They'll evaluate, and ah. they'll choose a handful to invest in as part of the fund. Yeah. So they also help us kind of navigate through all the different technology partners that are out there to help mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, you know, for us to select the best yeah. best that are out there. Yeah. Is there any single? Or maybe just one or two technologies that have particularly caught your eye in the last year. I mean, being as, you know, when you think about it as an investor, mm-hmm. is it the voice recognition technologies or are there areas that you mentioned blockchain fleetingly? Yep. Yep. Everyone seems to be very interested in blockchain, but then when I probe and try to find someone with actual examples that maybe they'll come and talk on our stage about, uh, they back right out. <laughs> so. We, uh, when this board meeting that you mentioned that we had recently, the one thing that they wanted to hear about was blockchain. And so we had a consultant it's come in. It's a new buzzword. Uh, it's bigger than digital transformation <laughs> at this point. We had a great guy come in, did, did, a, did a lunch and talk, talk yeah. all, I mean, you know, at a level that a board member could understand. And yep. I got up afterwards and said, so would you like to hear more about blockchain? And they said, no, no, no thanks. Never Please again, don't. thanks. Never again, we're, thank you. We're, we're going to be capable at cocktail parties. <laughs> exactly. That's what we were after. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> But we are working, uh, I mentioned NASCO before, uh, we're working with NASCO along with another blue. Mm-hmm. And the three companies are kind of um, invested in analyzing applications that might be uh, you know, good for a blockchain application with the hope okay. of maybe staying up a pilot first quarter of next year. That's our goal. Okay. Um, probably the use cases of probably that makes the most sense is provider data. 
So demographic information on doctors, mm-hmm. they have they move their locations all the time. They add an office. They you know don't stop going to an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are affiliated with one hospital or two hospitals. That changes. Right. It changes right. all the time. Yeah, we've got forty thousand physicians just in New Jersey alone. So trying to keep up on top of forty thousand people wow. with all the changes is not an easy and, task. And that'll get your claim rejected by a lot Absolutely. of companies. They're like, we don't recognize that office <clears throat> right. address or, exactly, yeah. or benefit. And you know that doctor isn't uh, you know part of our benefit structure because we don't think that person's in the right place. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're out of network when they really are in network. Exactly. Ah. Or vice versa. (laughs) And blockchain might solve that. Yeah. It would put the burden on that distributed ledger. The burden's on them as that kind of endpoint to keep the data up up in the current. Ah. I can see how doctors would love that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Along with the MR. More thing. responsibilities right, exactly. for the data. So. Just what they are hoping to hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and we were talking uh, when you're on the in those board of directors meetings at Zapari, mm-hmm. what is that like? How is that different for you than the things you do on a, you know, with your own board um, at uh, Horizon or your day to day activities as a CIO? Well, is it more fun? Well, it, yeah. obviously, you know, you're, you're being presented to as, as opposed to presenting yes. to them. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, and I've, I've been on several boards now. I was on the board of Navinet, the company I mentioned a while yeah. ago that was mm-hmm. based here in Boston. We sold a couple years ago. Um, it, it's good. Well, it's kind of also you have to kind of separate your fiduciary hat from your customer hat because yeah. in those cases, I'm both a customer and a board member. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to keep that balance is, is important. Um, yeah. But it also helps Provide they, this very valuable to them because they look to you as, you know, what's important to you as a customer. Yeah, um, yeah. and help kind of craft product strategy. And, when we and talk about this product to other enterprise CIOs, what are they going to ask? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you can really hopefully provides a lot of value to them as a mm-hmm. result. Um, but again, being a business guy and understanding, you know, the kind of the business side of the world is also fun from that standpoint. Kind of running a business, I guess, or helping to run a business. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, the, uh, oh, and you had mentioned uh, Pager in passing. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. That that interconnects online chats with people like nurses and yep. that sort of thing. Yep. Is that rolled out? Is that in yes. use now? Yes, we rolled mm-hmm. that out uh, several months ago. We started with our employees. It's now being rolled out kind of across the board to our individual-based market. And by the end of the year, we should have access to Pager for about a million members. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so pretty broad-based. Ba- and Pager, as you said, uh, different technology components. Interesting company. Uh, one of the founders is the uh, was one of the four founders of Uber. So oh, you think okay. about logistics yep. and what Uber did with lo- with logistics, yes. trying to do the same kind of thing in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting with something like a nurse chat, um, um, maybe evolving to a telemedicine, a virtual visit with a doctor, mm-hmm. or even having to schedule an appointment um, with uh, you know a facility to go in to have have something something done. Yeah. Um, example would be, um, you know, somebody has a, a child who's uh, running a fever, go online, do a chat with a nurse. What should I do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, based on what the nurse, they go through a triage process. They yeah. might say, well, you know what? We should really do a virtual visit with a physician. Mm-hmm. Let's set that up. They actually set that right up. The virtual visit occurs. The physician can make a decision as to whether or not they think a prescription is required. Maybe it's an ear infection or it seems like right. an ear infection. Yeah. Or they're not sure and they say, you know what, you really need to come in and go to an urgent care center. Mm-hmm. We can actually schedule that online through this app um, real time. 
Wow. That's the idea. Now, mm-hmm. we're not, not there completely yet, not by any, by any stretch, but yeah. we are there with one of our partners today. That's we can actually go through that whole yeah. process right to the physical yeah. facility. Wow. Now, you mentioned your Omni Alliance partners. Mm-hmm. Those are not tech vendors of any sort. Those are hospitals. Those and, are hospitals, yes. Oh, all right. About actually, six hospitals mm-hmm. and one uh, large multi-specialty practice. Yeah. And uh, do you tend to – what kind of – Governance or organizational structure? Do you have to set up for that? Are you on a a, a group meeting with all the other CIOs, or are yeah. there different people in the mix? How does that work? Interesting, yes, that, because that's that's such a great question, and that we set mm-hmm. up actually executive committees with each of those partners. Okay. So because there's seven of them, we can't all be in every meeting all the time. So we kind of split up the work. Yeah. So I have that's a couple a lot of that skyping. I'm part of. Yeah, exactly. A lot of skyping. A lot yeah. of talking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and, and the, the plan is to have things like a CIO council for all the partners exist. We haven't gotten there yet. Okay. That's like phase two. We're still mm-hmm. kind of in that kind of first two years of, of making all this work. Uh, um, but that will definitely be a phase two. And I'm talking to all the CIOs yeah. anyway about the health sphere integration. So it's not like we're not talking because we have a lot of conversations about right. that. You can do an, oh, by the way, here's something else that will benefit you. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can be bringing benefits to them rather than more problems right. to well, solve. Well, Pager is yeah. one of the, uh, one of the uh, you know, things that we are also talking to each of the partners about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say, do you spend more of your time as a CIO on business activities versus technology, strategy, and decision-making? I would say yes now. Um, mm-hmm. Probably early on the first several years, no. Okay. Um, but in particularly as, as Kevin has, has kind of taken the leadership reins, um, more of an outward focus, absolutely. Um, yeah. Trying to be more strategic with partners. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, if it's if it's provider partners like large hospitals or partners in general, mm-hmm. it could be strategy partners, it could be other business partners, um, and trying to get more involved in the business. Yeah, um, and then rely on on folks like my CTO, our head of app development, uh, who who's uh, one of our senior leaders, head of business solutions, those guys who work for me, and let them really manage more of the kind of technical decisions day to day, and hopefully get me out of the office mm-hmm. occasionally to mm-hmm. do more strategy work. Get you out of the way. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, does Horizon take a specific approach to um, IT innovation with all initial caps, you know, the mm-hmm. like the, the place like having an R&D lab? Um, some companies are, are more encouraging everyone to think innovatively and contribute their ideas. And sometimes there are portals for people to put in ideas and they have internal contests and mm-hmm. hackathons, that sort of thing. So is usually companies take either a formal or an informal approach. How do you do it at Horizon? I, I would say today is informal. Okay. Um, and there are other Blue Cross Blue Shield organizations that actually have formal innovation centers. Yes. Uh, in fact, Massachusetts, I think, just set one up. Yep. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't gone there yet, but I think that's in the cards. Um, oh, okay. And probably in the next year or so. Uh, I, we're kind of waiting for Kevin to really kind of get his strategy in place before we did that. But mm-hmm. he's clearly... Um, a proponent of both innovation and agility. So I, I think we're definitely going to get there. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, we relied on our, our partners to help do that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, being some of these smaller companies are extremely innovative. They're very agile. They can move on a dime because um, they're smaller and they don't have the mm-hmm. same kind of overhead that some larger yeah. organizations they do. They don't have the governance needs you do. Right. Yeah. When you think about the most innovative, the most innovative things that IT has done mm-hmm. in the last year or two, what floats up in your mind? Well, it may not sound innovative to to some technologists who are out there, but certainly the move to the cloud, the use of the API technology, um, and also Mm -hmm. the use of being healthcare. We have to be HIPAA 
compliant in everything we do. Compliance, of course. Um, and that's yeah. a big deal um, in, in the cloud. Um, we're actually partnered with another another company called Clear Data. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember mentioned the uh, private equity uh, funds that were part of the Heritage Group is one of those. Clear Data is one of their companies. Oh, okay. So they provide a HIPAA-compliant infrastructure that sits on top of AWS. Um, which AWS will only kind of give you the the base level of of HIPAA compliance at mm-hmm. the, the very low levels of infrastructure, but you got a big gap between that and the application. Clear Data will close that gap. So those kinds of things, to me, are kind of innovative work that we've done to get us innovative in terms of how where healthcare can be innovated. Right. Um, we're starting to look at some other things I mentioned earlier, like transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association has done some really good work working with Lyft on transportation, particularly like in the oh, nice. Medicaid population yeah. where that becomes a problem, just getting people to the right place for care. Yeah. Um, if we can facilitate that through uh, you know, integration with Lyft, mm-hmm. um, then we can make that happen much more easily. So we're trying to do things like that as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the other thing we mentioned when we were talking about emerging trends before, and we were, I guess we were talking about AI and the mm-hmm. kind of partners you're working with, um, you mentioned the work that IBM has done with Watson. Mm-hmm. And that always gets a lot of attention, the idea that cognitive computing will one day essentially be your doctor. <laughs> um, where do you see that on the spectrum? Does that still feel kind of science fiction-y to you? Or are we closer to that than we realize? No, I, I think we're mm-hmm. pretty close. I mean, IBM, yeah. for some time now, years, mm-hmm. has been able to, through their Watson tools, kind of showcase uh, its ability to make decisions more effectively than the human can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, humans can only retain so much information in, in their head. I would call it the hard drive. You know, there's only, only so much space up there in your yeah. hard drive. Um, but Our you know, hard drives are wearing out. Yeah, I know. The only we get the hard drive. We're so distracted. <laughs> yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. so, so I think there's really something there. Um, and I think mm. it just has to be embraced by, you know, kind of the medical community to make it happen. Um, but again, other other companies like a pager, they're using AI underneath that to help make decisions, mm-hmm. to create conversations um, that you know, otherwise wouldn't have happened years ago. Uh, and, you know, kind of replace the human part of it for more of the routine kinds of things and let let yeah. the people make the hard decisions. I know. Let people actually use their real people skills, exactly. that, which is more than answering phones and, yeah. you know, or organizing lo- looking things. looking up diagnosis codes in a, you know, big oh. red book like they used to. Yes. <laughs> Only now they can't find them in their EHR, so they <laughs> right. sit there complaining about them. <laughs> well, another thing we mentioned was Internet of Things yes. and the Bluetooth-enabled uh, devices. Uh, you say, you'd mentioned that you were just starting on a concierge medicine approach with diabetes populations. Mm-hmm. Is that which one? Is that part of HealthSphere? No, so it will, oh. it will feed into HealthSphere as okay. a source of data, um, but it's a, a different, um, a different uh, kind of project and approach. Our, our chief medical officer is kind of working on that right now mm-hmm. with our technical teams. Um, and again, so you know, Bluetooth-enabled devices, whether it's uh, for weight management, Bluetooth scales, or mm-hmm. you know, if it's a, a heart condition where you're measuring heart rates, and they actually have, um, besides Bluetooth uh, cuffs now, they're actually getting down to some of the watches ultimately be able to measure blood pressure and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, taking that information and be able to you know, more effectively manage a, a chronic condition like a diabetes, congestive heart failure using Bluetooth-enabled devices. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I always, in the last few minutes of our interview, mm. didn't I tell you 60 minutes goes flying it does go by? Through. I know. Nobody asks any questions. Though. I, I know. I know. We didn't get a single question. Maybe next time. <laughs> um, the, so far, the only one who has gotten a question was uh, Cynthia Stoddard, the CIO at Adobe. Okay. Got a very good question about senior IT leadership. And we were also happy because finally our Twitter, they must just be too fascinated with what I, you're saying. Oh, I but I like to wrap up talking a little bit about uh, what you've learned about leadership uh, mm. over the years and kind of balancing those competing demands of the CIO role with your business working directly for the CEO and then also with all your board work that mm -hmm. you're doing with these emerging companies. What are some of the what are the, some of the things you've learned for making sure that you don't exhaust your own internal resources and <laughs> that you stay focused on being a good leader? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a balance, no doubt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was I was lucky when I was uh, younger and, and first working. I, I worked for a digital equipment corporation, mm -hmm. uh, highly matrixed organization. I always yes. say I kind of learned. That's a neighbor to, of ours here. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I live quite close to Maynard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I worked in Maynard, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, but I kind of learned to lead and manage there, and and because yeah. of that kind of flexibility and management, it's kind of helped me in later stages. Um, and I try to bring that, whether it's through collaboration or teamwork or kind of kind of walking the walk. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you try to do that as best you can. And unfortunately, the, the kind of the more senior you get, the harder it is to do. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's there's a cultural aspect with leadership, and you have to adapt yourself to the culture. Mm -hmm. um, certainly Horizon, when I first got there, um, much more structured kind of hierarchical organization than I was used to. And I really yeah. had to change to adapt to that. Okay. Uh, but still try to bring kind of the innovative part of it to it as well. So mm -hmm. uh, I think, again, it's kind of a balance between all of that. Well, I would think so, too, because when you're trying, because one of the things you had mentioned when we talked about this earlier is how important it is for you to be as transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. But that can mean an awful lot of communicating in a matrix organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would find myself after a while thinking, did I already tell this person that? <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of communication. I think yeah. there's kind of a personal aspect to it, too, developing mm -hmm. relationships with people and trust. Doesn't happen yeah. overnight. It takes a while, but mm -hmm. uh, I think that's important too. Mm -hmm. Okay, I heard a boop, and I thought maybe did we get a question? No. no. All right. <laughs> of course we not. were hoping. <laughs> You're going to have to give all your people back at at, at Horizon a hard time <laughs> saying like one of you couldn't have tweeted in a question. Um, let me see. So the uh, the biggest words of wisdom you would have for other CIOs, whether they're healthcare industry or not. We've uh -huh. talked about trust and openness and transparency. Well, certainly those things are paramount. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know, just kind of you know, kind of an openness to to be flexible, to yeah. to you know adapt to changing times because certainly technology, the pace of technology change change isn't slowing down anytime soon. Right. Uh, right. That's going to continue, and the change in the business world is 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 just as is you know crazy mm -hmm. out there. Um, when you do have the, the folks like Amazon and others, particularly in healthcare, they're starting to you know talk about getting into the industry. It's going to potentially be a game changer. Yeah. But that's only one industry. They can pretty much disrupt any industry they want to uh, right. you know, based on their size and scale. So, Well, um, it's, all, it's all disruption, isn't it? It I is. Mean, just it's, a, it's a longer word, more syllables than the word change. <laughs> right. But of course, we do that a lot. Um, you've, with all of the business background you had, do you, mm -hmm. are you ever tempted to go back into 
more of a business role, or do you love being a CIO? I, I, I love being a CIO, but I kind of mm-hmm. get the best of both worlds in this job, again, because of, of what we talked about earlier, yeah, being part of so that senior leadership now. team and mm-hmm. being part of the decision-making process at Horizon. That, that is, It's like I am in the business, in effect. Yes. So. Well, and I think increasingly that will be. I've had mm-hmm. um, almost all CIOs that I talk to have other significant responsibilities outside of IT, mm-hmm. you yep. know, which is a good thing, because think how bored you all would get. Yeah, that's right. You know, what I, else would we have to do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been a great conversation, and I told you it would go by really quickly. Very quickly. So if you are joining us late and want to watch the full episode, and who would blame you? It was a marvelous conversation. You will be able to find it tomorrow uh, posted on CIO.com, and it will also be living on our Twitter feed, at CIO Online, for a little while longer. Now, the audio podcast of our conversation today will be available on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud. And I hope you will join us for our next episode, which will be Wednesday, August 8th at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'll be joined by Rob David Dravenstadt, who is the Senior Vice President and CIO of Dish Networks. Thank you very much for joining us today for CIO Leadership Live, and we hope to see you again soon.